Welcome back to the Champion Forum podcast. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Good Steward Accounting. Are you an entrepreneur that's looking to grow your business but often find yourself in the weeds, managing your finances, looking for ways to maximize profit? Maybe you're a small to medium-sized company that doesn't have the budget quite yet for an internal CFO. If that sounds like you and your current position, I want to introduce you to Good Steward Accounting. Good Steward Accounting is a full-service accounting firm dedicated to creating customized solutions for that small to medium-sized company. They have a proven track record in helping businesses with budgeting, raising capital, cash flow management, as well as short-term and long-term financial strategy. To take advantage of a free one-hour financial consultation of your business, I want to encourage you to email info at goodstewardaccounting.com. That's info at goodstewardaccounting.com. I-N-F-O at G-O-O-D-S-T-E-W-A-R-D accounting.com. Tell them that Jeff Hancher sent you. You will not regret it. Good Steward Accounting is the preferred accountant, the accountant that I use for the Champion Forum. Tell them that Jeff sent you and they come highly recommended. This is the Champion Forum podcast with Jeff Hancher, the forum for leaders, champions, and dreamers. I have been anxiously awaiting having this guest on the show. Today, I have with me Coach Dana Cavalia. Coach is a former director of strength and conditioning of, of, and performance for the New York Yankees. And uh, as I've come to learn his journey and what he's doing even currently, I knew that he was going to be a tremendous fit for this podcast and our listeners. This is a gentleman that helped lead the team to a World Series championship in 2009. That same year, he was awarded the Nolan Ryan Award given to the top, the very best strength and performance coach in all of Major League Baseball, and this was voted on by his peers. Coach is also the author of his, of his book, Habits of a Champion, Nobody Becomes a Champion by Accident. And in addition to his on-field coaching, he also works as a performance coach. He helps uh, consult to companies some of the top companies in the country, organizations, some of the top executives and CEOs, and even many on Wall Street as fund managers and traders, helping them to optimize their performance, their productivity, and even driving uh, revenue and growth of their organizations. So coach, it's exciting to have you on and welcome to the Champion Forum podcast. Jeff, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. So you have an unbelievable story. I have really enjoyed uh, learning more about your journey. And it's truly one of those that if you take some shots, take some risks and put intentional practice to what you're doing, you can rise to the top. I'd like to, I'd like to have you share a little bit more about your story. I mean, you grew up in Long Island, New York. You took your talents, as they say, to Tampa. You attend the University of South Florida. And then you find yourself employed with the Yankees at the ripe old age of 19 years old. So can you fill in some of those gaps and tell us what that journey was like going from being a, merely a fan of the Yankees to being surrounded by baseball legends in an organization like the New York Yankees? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, I, I started my journey, like you said, on, on Long Island. I was a kid that was just a 
the son of, of two teachers and, and uh, grew up in a, just a middle class, you know, family and, um, you know, was a big, big baseball fan because I loved to play the game first. So, you know, when I realized that I uh, had this dream of making it to the big leagues, you know, it really excited me as a kid. And I just really, I loved to train for the sport, you know? So I, I, as I was making my, I guess, way towards major league baseball, I thought originally I was going to make it as a player. And, um, you know, when I came to the university of South Florida, I had to make a decision. And the decision was, do you want to keep playing or do you self-evaluate and know what you're, talent set really is as assessed by you and, and later to be assessed by, you know, major league baseball scouts. I, I didn't have the talent. I didn't have the ability level to get to my next uh, step, which for me would be going from college ball to, to major league baseball. And, and I, I couldn't get there. So I made a decision at that point. I said, what do you, what do you love most about this game? And, and I loved training and I loved See, and when I train and I invest in my physicality and I invested in my mentality, how I was able to take this talent sponge and kind of wring it out and get every last drop of talent um, and competitive ability out of myself. So that's, that's what I, I made a decision, you know, um, at the ripe old age at 19 to give up playing. And at that point, I, I got into to the field of coaching and my journey into coaching was because I was what I consider uh, an underperforming player, I had to rely heavily on coaching so I could enhance my performance uh, the best I could. I had great coaches that accelerated me and I had bad coaches that really pulled me back. So I said, you know what? This field of coaching is, is pretty cool. It's pretty amazing how you can help people advance themselves um, by giving them the tools, giving them the skills, giving them the ear and the support. And, and I, I just, I fell in love with it. So, so how did I go from being a, a college student that left New York, went to the University of South Florida, the land of warm weather and palm trees? Uh, well, you know, I, I went to USF. I started interning with the football team as I was getting a degree in sports medicine. And here it is February. And I, I just happened to catch word that the New York Yankees were coming to town for spring training. Now, I knew this all along. That's part of the reason why I went to school in Tampa. There was a density of baseball teams, more specifically the Yanks, right in town. And uh, literally, I, I drove up to, at the time, what was known as Legends Field. Now it's Steinbrenner Field in my old beat-up Mazda 929. And I parked about a mile and a half away. I walk up to the stadium, and I pull out my flip phone. And I'm taking pictures of players like Jeter. I'm taking pictures of players like Posada and uh, Roger Clemens through this chain link fence mm -hmm. and sending these pictures home to my friends and family. I said, look at this. It's amazing. Look at how close I am to these players and look at the weather. And ultimately I, um, that day I went back to my internship with the football team at USF and I got called into the, the head strength coach's office. And he said, Dana, I'd like to talk to you. So in New York, when somebody says that you're about to get <laughs> whacked, you know, so I um, was bracing for impact, but ultimately he had an opportunity for me. And he said, listen, I just got a call from the head strength coach with the Yankees. And, you know, he's looking for somebody to help basically hand out towels, hand out water and clean the weight room while he's on the field. Is that something you'd have interest in? And I said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I just got back from the field 
Steinbrenner Field, and I would love that opportunity. When do I start? He says, well, you got to go up there tomorrow. So literally the next day, I have a parking spot right up front. I walk in to, the, to this main office. I, they said, hey, are you Coach Dana? Are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah. They threw a credential around my neck, walked me into the Yankee clubhouse, threw me in Yankee gear. Next thing you know, I was escorted into the middle of the field um, in the middle of team stretch. Wow. And there's all these players. So the same field I was taking pictures of a day earlier, within 24 hours, I was now on that field. And it was uh, just an amazing transition of events in a, in a 24-hour period that really you know, changed my life. At 19, I said, okay, you have just been granted an unbelievable opportunity. Now, you could be like the rest of your derelict friends at 19 and, and not capture that opportunity and just go out and party. Or you could say, hey, I have an unbelievable opportunity here. Let me take advantage of it. And, that, and that's what I did. Man, there's so much there. You know, the two things. One, being in the proper placement. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dana, but it wasn't like you had this big resume that qualified you. You were in the right place. You didn't have a history of strength and conditioning. I mean, you were training towards it. You had internships. But you talk about proper placement. And, and positioning yourself to take hold of the opportunities that are around you. I'm sure that had something to do with you being pulled in and having, you know, that person say, hey, there's an opportunity. Would you like it? I mean, proper placement was a big part of you getting from looking through that chain link fence and admiring, you know, some of uh, these baseball players as a fan to now supporting the team, right? Yeah, well, the, big, the, the one thing that I've, that I've done through my whole life I've always been a believer in having vision, you know, not always just having a vision, but having a vision and seeing where it is that, that you're headed and, and where it is you desire to go. And, and I believe that if you could focus your attention on just the direction in which you want to go, the steps of, of actually how to make that happen will, will oftentimes show themselves. So, so I'm a, I've been a huge believer of that my whole career. So, so that, that, day you know or, or even before that day just being a fan this whole story dates back to my first game going to Yankee Stadium you know I was sitting up in the nosebleed section you know with my father and you know we were looking down on the field and I saw this guy on the on the foul line in right field stretching players and I never forgot that image and it, it always came back to me over and over again like what does that guy do what is that guy doing and um Ultimately, you know, I found out later as I was trying to pick what I was going to go to school for, that guy was a strength and conditioning coach. And, and right when I heard about the profession, boom, that image of that, of that gentleman who I ended up working under later popped right in my head. So I'm a huge believer in vision, the vision of, hey, I'm going to go to school in Tampa. I know the Yankees are there. I'm going to show up at the field. I'm going to, you know, work to be a part of this thing because I'm not going to make it to the big leagues as a player. How else can I get there? And that, that was really how my journey started. I had no skills. You know, at that time I was an intern, right? So I knew nothing about my field of study outside of, you know, I knew that in the, how, what I learned, you know, growing up where I grew up was there's nothing more powerful than relationships. And if yeah. you could build relationships, people, um, they want to help you. And, that, and that's been my whole um, game, you know, my whole life, I, I believe that. So I'm a big people person and, and we help each other. Yeah. So, you know, that's, 
that's yeah. how this whole thing started really with, without any skills. That's, a, that's amazing. And I mean, you know, all the more reason that you add so much value to so many people. I mean, here's literally a story of no skill to going after chasing down a career to help the team win at the highest level. And then you get the highest individual trophy in the position. And that doesn't come by accident, which is a lot of what you teach as being an intentional. But I want to talk about the second part of that. As you were telling that story, the second question that came to my mind. So, I mean, here you are, you have this dream of becoming a professional baseball player. You realize you have that epiphany at some point that you simply don't have the skill set to make that happen. You've reached the ceiling. You've, you've given it all you've had. You clearly uh, we know how the story ends. You clearly use that setback as a setup for a comeback to go on and do greater things and, and find your proper placement. However, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this, Coach, many people, when they hit that type of wall, they let it derail them. Game mm -hmm. over. This is the end. The big dream that I had. It's not what, what came to play. How did you process that transition? And how did you find like how to refocus yourself to become the very best in your field? Yeah, you know, again, going back, I, I've always been pretty good at balancing um, my reality as it relates to to skill, um, and then also balancing that with, hey, what are what's my dream, right? What am I? What do I really want? And then how do I take, you know, the reality of my my current skill sets, my my abilities, my my gifts, and apply those to to again where it is that that I want to go and, and the one thing again that I that I always reinforce to myself and I reinforce anybody I work with is you know part of this whole this game is you have to know the rules of the game right you have to know the the rules of the game in which you play you got to know the rules of business you got to know the rules of life and and ultimately the one thing that, that you always know that's consistent about both life and business is there'll always be setbacks right nobody bats a thousand in life nobody bats a thousand in sports so once you know that you've now given yourself permission to fail you've given yourself permission to get set back you've you know given yourself permission even at times to you know go into fetal position and 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 recharge and gather yourself so you're ready for your next bout i mean there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that and i always found that you know, the mainstream message is just keep hustling, just keep grinding. But sometimes it's when you have a setback, it's okay to, to take a minute and, and, and rebalance yourself and then start going again, you know, and you may have been chasing the wrong thing. And we've all been down that road. I've, I've chased, I'm, I'm sharing a story today about the right thing that I went after, but there's been a lot of wrong things too. Sure. Yeah, you and me both. And yeah. I can tell you, you know, our demographic of listeners, I would say, range from entrepreneurs to leaders in corporate America and small business and everything in between. But, mm. you know, whether you're, you're out there as a listener, like Coach was saying, maybe you, you've failed at a startup. Uh, maybe you're trying to climb the, the corporate ranks and you didn't get the promotion that you wanted. Uh, matter of fact, Coach, a story that I heard you tell once that would be appropriate right now, possibly. I mean, you've spent time with legendary athletes, mm -hmm. Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera. But something that stood out to me was a story that you told about discussing failure with Mariano Rivera. <laughs> and, and the story was that he blew a World Series game in Arizona. And you two were talking after, afterward. 
and he implored you whenever you started doing what you're doing now, like share this story. Can you talk a little bit about what somebody that has reached a pinnacle in the game, like Mariano Rivera, that what was that conversation like after he blew that game? What was his mindset? And how can people that are hearing this story apply that to their own journey as well? Yeah, this is this is one of my one of my favorite stories. I share it every time I, I speak, uh, you know, to companies or or just you know anybody that's dealing with, um, you know, I guess fear fear of failure in some ways. But you know, this this story actually dates back to 1995 when Mariano Rivera made his major league debut. 1995, um, you know, here I am still in high school trying to figure out who the heck I am as a person. And I see this skinny kid from Panama, from Panama take the mound at Yankee Stadium for the first time. And you look at him and you say, who's this guy? What, you know, what's he going to do, right? And he leans back and he throws 95 miles an hour when 95 wasn't, wasn't seen that often. And then 97 and, and boom, immediately your attention is, is, is on him. And every year after that, the guy just got better and better and better. Big situations, always getting it done, you know, classic ice in the veins kind of guy. So, you know, uh, it was probably now, I'd say maybe six years ago, um, we live around the corner from each other in Westchester County, New York. And he gives me a buzz and says, hey, buddy, can you come over to the house? I want to get stretched. <laughs> so I go to his house and, um, you know, head down to the basement. And this is this is normal. I do this quite often with, with players and people is, you know, working on their body and, and stretching them and, and getting them to really talk and open up. And I said, Mo, you know what, today I have a question for you. He goes, what? Well, buddy, what, what question do you have? You know, with, with a, a, his typical attitude and anyone that knows him knows that that's real. Um, <laughs> and he says, what do you want to know? I said, listen, I, I got a question I've been waiting to ask you since 1995. So this is almost a 20 year question, but but how do you do it? And he says, how, do what? Do what? And I said, how do you, how do you get it done? How, how do you get it done in the biggest situations? How do you get it done? And he says, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I quiet the noise. Number two, I slow everything down. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. Quiet the noise, slow it down, one pitch at a time. He says, you see, I, I control Everything that I can control in that moment, I, I control. I control the noise. I control what I see. And therefore, I don't let those things take me over. And I said, okay, that's great. But what about the big situations? You know, game on the line, you know, World Series. And, and he smiles and he says, buddy, and this was the line that really changed my whole perspective in life, is that there are no big situations. Yeah. Every situation is the same. That's good. Every situation is the same. So we decide what we give life to. And, and I think anybody listening could relate to that. You know, I, I was talking to a, a, a gentleman that runs a, a company the other day and he had to speak about his numbers, you know, to all these private equity guys and his board. And he was nervous. And I said, talking to these guys is no different than talking to me. It's just a matter of how you are looking at it. And, right. and, so going back and I said, Mo, but what about that World Series that you blew in, in Arizona? I said, what would you do differently? And he looks at me and he says, buddy, I would throw the same exact pitch in the same exact spot hmm. if I had to do it again. Hmm. And he says, I have no regrets. And, and that in that moment, I, that's what I believed I should have thrown. And, and he hit it. 
he says, it's baseball. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what he said. It's baseball. Yeah. So people are going to hit you. People are going, you're going to give up the game. And once you know that, that could happen. Sure. I mean, it's a reality. Yeah, it totally is. And I, I think um, I remember, I don't know if it was something I heard or one of your podcasts maybe, but I think he might have said, and you can fill in the blanks here, you, you asked the question, but he said something like, the only thing that I would do differently or if I could do it over again was I wouldn't have had to wait the entire off season to get back on the mound. That, that, that's ex exactly what he said. And I appreciate you bringing that up because yeah. he said that, that was the one thing that drove him craziest is he couldn't wait to get back out there. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you think about the, the, you know, average person or, or a person that has what would be considered maybe public defeat. They may not want to ever be seen again. Exactly. You know? And this guy was like, no, I blew it and I can't wait to get back out there. Yeah. I think that's a great lesson to the listener too is, you know, I always say that failure is a bruise. It's not a tattoo. The, the, the best performers, the people that perform at peak levels, they see those as opportunities. And I'm sure like, you know, Mo did that day. He was probably thinking about like the best thing I can do right now would be to get back on the mound. I wouldn't do anything different. I would have threw the same pitch. I would have done the same thing. Sometimes the ball gets hit. But you know what? The best thing I could do is get back on the mound. I just wish I could do it quicker. And I think that has to be our mindset because, you know, the greatest of the great, whether it's sports, business, whatever it might be, is you learn from it and you push on, you move forward. And here's one of the greats of all time, you know, giving us that type of feedback. So that's an awesome story. And we're all going to face setbacks. There's no question about that. 100%. And, and here's something that, that I want to add to that. And, and I found this to be true, you know, with, with the, the highest performing athletes that I work with, um, the one thing that they do not really need any of is external validation. They don't need external validation. They're completely internally validated at a very, very high, high level. It's very hard to, to break them. And I find that a lot of people that don't want to come back out right away after a defeat or a loss or a fail, they crave external validation as their primary, you know, driver of, you know, feeling good about themselves. Like, so they're, so when they get defeated publicly, it's, it's crushing. Yeah. Um, these sort of players and, and even uh, other, you know, business elites, man, that they just, they keep pushing through and, and you could spit on them. You could do whatever. They don't care. Yeah. They don't even, they need, they don't even, they don't need your applause. They know yeah. who they are. That, that's so good. I always say like, you should be your own biggest cheerleader. I mean, look, I love the attaboys and the pats on the back when I get them, but yep. make no mistake. I don't need them. What's fueling on the inside of me and the confidence that you build over time gives you that like the best players, they want to take over the game when it matters most. It's that way in business as well. You're in the board meeting or whatever it might be. You're in the startup. You're trying to go get uh, PE money, whatever, you name it. Like mm -hmm. you want to be the person that's talking. Why is that? Because you've put in the work, you've put in the time and you have answers. And if it doesn't come up, I'm bringing it up because I have that kind of confidence. And that should be something that uh, everybody is pursuing is having the type of knowledge and the quote unquote at bats, no pun intended to say, yeah, I should be the one in the ninth inning to hit the home run because I've done it so many times, that repetition, which, which is a great segue in, into uh, getting back to your story, Dana, 
I mean, you start 19 years old with the Yankees. You're basically cleaning up the locker room, distributing towels, like what, whatever it takes to help that department. And in less than four years, you become the head strength coach and oversaw all of strength and performance for the entire Yankees organization. This, that does not happen by accident. What would you say were the key contributors to your rapid success and how can others apply that to their own pursuit? Yeah, it's, I'd say it would, it, it's two-parted, right? The first part is, you know, going back to, to when I started, again, not having skills. I had to rely on the only skill um, or skills that I had, and that was, that was people skills. So I, I realized that if I could build relationships with these players that were real and authentic and I wasn't trying to sell them anything that was, you know, snake oil, um, that they'd actually like me, right? And if people like you, they're going to want to work with you and they're going to support you. So I, I had friends that went to school for the same degree program as I did. And, you know, they were ended up working at LA Fitness. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I was a young guy that got a chance to learn on Ferraris. And, and these guys gave me a chance, you know, to, to learn on them. So, you know, when I first started, again, it was the relationships, get them to know you, like you, and trust you as a person. And actually, one of my great friends who's been the equipment guy with the Yankees for 30 years pulled me over and said something very, very early in my career. And he said, listen, you're going to build relationships with these guys outside of the field. So you better make sure you go to lunch with them. You better make sure you go to dinner with them and that you actually spent some time hanging with them. And that was very, very taboo at the time because it's like, hey, coaches don't hang with players. But um, it, it actually showed to be one of the most amazing parts and beneficial parts of, of my entire um, you know, elevation. And so, so that was one, right? Get them to know you, like you, trust you, believe in you, and, and know that you're a good person first. Uh, it's not just telling them, you know, what to do. And the other thing that I, that I always try to do, no matter what situation I'm in, is I try to look for um, th that little sliver of where can we be better and what are we missing? So what I saw at the time was I saw player salaries elevating year over year over year, millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? So the asset value of a player went from maybe Three, you know, what may have been contracts of 10 or $12 million to where now they're at $350 million, you know? So um, I saw that trend happening and I said, okay, if that's going to be happening, you know, um, we're going to have to probably know a little bit more about these players, right? We're going to have to figure out, you know, and, and profile them a bit more so we could start to predict injury. We could start to see what their risk factors are because now every day that they're not on the field, it becomes very, very expensive for the organization. So I said, what, what can I do? So what I did was I developed what I called my player profile and it assessed player range of motion, shoulder range of motion, hip range of motion, injury history. Um, and what I did was I created a color coded, basically, you know, risk sheet that said, hey, anything in red is high risk, green, uh, yellow is moderate risk, and green is no risk. So we started to look at players differently. And I presented this to our GM, Brian Cashman, who was amazing because he gave me a chance, number one, as a young guy. And number two, he took the time to listen and see what I was doing and said, hey, there's value there. So again, it's more 
find that sliver and demonstrate, you know, it's like the classic everybody says today, you got to show value, deliver value, deliver. And, um, and, and I guess that's, that's what I did at that time. So any room you walk into, ask yourself, Hey, you know, what's missing here and, and what could I do to add, add, um, you know, value to this room. And the first thing you got to do in order to do that is realize that, um, you know, there's an opportunity in that room. You just have to find it. That's so good. I, I talk a lot about being a leading contributor and finding where the opportunities are, even if it's outside of your job description, because those are the things that kind of stand out. Everybody expects you to do your job. Like mm. that's what you're there for. Do your job, come in, wh whatever it is that your job description is. But I feel like it's the people that find that incremental improvement and, and you talk a lot about hitting home runs versus singles and, and those analogies, but it's so true. And when you look at your organization holistically, regardless of your position, and you start finding out where are the slivers, as you called them, Dana, those little things over time can make huge impact. And to go from, you know, helping to distribute towels at 19 to running the whole thing at 23, that's very intentional. And uh, I think that's a great lesson for all of us is that, look, you're not going to start by hitting home runs, most likely. It's that consistency over time that gets noticed. But if you let off even probably one year in that four-year stretch, you're probably not in that role at the age of 23. Would you agree? I would say that that to be true because, you know, when you're when you're young or even if you're older and you're pushing a new idea that's not conventional – uh, people are waiting for you to trip up and they're waiting yeah. for you to fail. So, yeah. um, you know, I always enjoyed sticking it to them and saying, yeah, all right, let's do it. You know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's more my, the competitive spirit and competitive mentality. Um, and you have to balance that competitive spirit and mentality um, and make sure that you're not ignoring your own, your own blind spots, you know? So it's finding again, it's always, I, I used, it's always, finding that balance right between being ultra competitive and also humility and finding you know where you're going to sit along that that continuum and at times you got to be very competitive and at times you have to be very humble so you have to find you know it's it's a floating continuum um and yeah. you got to find where you want to hang on that yeah you, you know when you mentioned about the uh the players salaries going up and how you had to be more intentional about you know, performance of the players and different things like that. And, and uh, forgive me if I'm not saying this exactly right, but I'll get to the essence. I, I, I remembered something that you wrote uh, to the nature of, if you're going to build a championship caliber team, you have to build championship caliber players. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to see, can you talk to that? Because I think sometimes, you know, whether it's in, you know, in small business, in the entrepreneurial space, definitely in the corporate space, we, sometimes we get so caught up in, in SOP and policies and procedures and, you know, the cattle herd of training and we're just kind of leading everybody the same way. And when you do that, you're going to be right about 10% of the time. Something yeah. that you did uh, with the Yankees organization was you started to learn player tendencies. You know, what are they prone to injury? Where, where can you help specifically with eating habits or conditioning? What did they like? You, you drew feedback from them so that you could meet them right where they were to get the peak performance out of that specific player. And by doing that, you built that championship team. 
Can you talk about meeting players or employees uh, exactly where they are to bring the best out of them? Yeah. So, so something. Uh, this is this is a a line that I that I keep front and center uh, all the time as it relates to you know leadership and, and development, and it's individuals make up teams. Yes. And That's and it. people. Um, in leadership positions, they forget that. And, and you know, there's, there's another side to it, right? You know, it's, it's interesting how things are set up, uh, you know, in business and in corporate where, you know, let's say you're really good at a, at a particular skill. It's amazing how being really good at a particular skill allows you to climb the ladder most often into management positions. Mm-hmm. But just because you're good at this skill doesn't mean you're good at this other skill, which is called management and which is called leadership. Because there's people, I got to tell you, that they work amazing as individuals. And when you start almost pushing on to them that now, hey, you're so good that now we're going to elevate you, but you're going to have to now manage all these people, that could be the end of them. And really, they're not able to maximize their own skill set. So I always said, you, gotta, you have to know the players on your team. You have to know what makes them great and what they're great at and what they also really enjoy. And when you can figure out those things, you know, you may have to, you may have to elevate that guy, but give him a manager because management is, is a skill in itself. I mean, that's, that's a gift. And, and a lot of people do not have the desire to manage and they don't have the, the, the gift or the skill set, no matter how many John Maxwell books they read, they're not going to have it. So um, ultimately, we can always make people better, yes, but you have to know the individuals that make up your team. And what does it take to understand the individuals that make up your team? It takes time. And you as the leader, you have to make the time to understand those individuals that make up your team and the teams that make up your organization. And, and that is something that is so critical. You have to know the individual needs of your people. And you, and part two is you have to realize that the individual needs of your people, those needs are not static. They're dynamic. Yeah. That's so you may say, Hey, you know, I talked to them last quarter, right? Well, you know, they're a different person this quarter from last quarter. Yeah. So, you know, you know, no thinking about what you did and some of the players that you led and helped, you're not giving the same regimen to each hero that you are a rod. There's just no way. Like (laughs) they're they're two totally different types of players. Their skill sets are different. Their mission on the team is different and you, you condition them differently. You prepare them differently, I would imagine. And I Mm. think it's the same way in business. And I think that's a great point, Coach, when you talk about people do change. You know, Derek Jeter had a, a long career. And how you probably prepared him when you got to the organization versus how you prepared him at the end of his career or, you know, that, that tenure coming to a close is completely different. I think that's a great lesson in leadership is that what worked last year might not work today. As people grow and develop, We've got to help them as leaders grow and develop, and we can't lead everybody the same way. It's a, it's a phenomenal point, and I appreciate you sharing it. Everybody, again, everybody's you know, changing. Some for the better, you know, hopefully the majority for the better, and some people are actually falling backwards because you know, they're dealing with life events. You know? You know, the people that make up your workforce, 
you know, they have kids that get sick. They have spouses that, that, that get sick, that pass on. I mean, yeah. people are dealing with a lot of different things, you know, and it, and it, and it goes outside of just their day-to-day job. They're dealing with a lot of different things, and you have to know that. And, and you know, the one thing that we do in sports that um, sometimes gets poo-pooed a little bit in business is there's a lot of talk, you know, just focus on people's strengths. And, and it's great. I, I do believe to focus on people's strengths, but in sports, we also focus a lot on, on the player weakness, knowing that the player weakness is never going to strengthen to become as great as their strengths. But what we find is when pressure elevates in a, in a situation, what tends to um, take the player down is not their strength. It's their weakness. So in, in, in pressure situations, weaknesses become magnified. And a player, as with people, they always know, we always know what our weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And when those things get exposed, we freeze. So think about it. If you have this weakness and you never work on it or you never train it because you say, I'm just going to be 100% on my strengths, well, that weakness isn't going to just disappear. Right. And again, when pressure rises, that could be the one part of your chain that that breaks you if you leave it uh, not you know left alone and the other thing is too when you work on your weaknesses you become confident more confident in saying hey it's, it's a weakness but I'm confident in that weakness sure know your kryptonite right yeah exactly no doubt about it I agree well I mean look we could go a long time into the book the book is amazing by the way Thank but you. I did want to touch on a couple points that that really spoke to me first off the book is titled Habits of a Champion, Nobody Becomes a Champion by Accident. And I think I might actually like the subtitle better than the title itself. It's so true that uh, you don't accidentally become a champion. But I like the subtitle so much that I wanted to talk about it because something that you mentioned, Dana, is that there's no such thing as a default champion. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think some people, they just feel at some point, you know, when they reach a certain age or they reach a certain amount of years on the job that all of a sudden they're going to be crowned champion. And, and I, I never believe that, that to be true. So there's no such thing as a default champion because becoming a champion is really the result of your day-to-day process. It's a result of your day-to-day mindset, how you hold yourself, the esteem in which you hold yourself. And when you put all of that together, over time, you become a champion, but not by default, by actual work, uh, progressive work. And, and again, whatever your process is, that process is going to lead you towards your results. It's your job as, a, as a, a proactive champion to keep carving and keep sculpting and trimming to get that process right. And over time, you become a champion over time. It's not one event that, that takes you there. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. tenure alone, they're not giving out, uh, there's not participation trophies in the real world, folks. Uh, <laughs> if you thought there were, there actually isn't. And tenure does not get you the glory. Tenure does not get you the trophy. You know, Dana, you're a living example of that. In, in less than four years, you go from joining the organization to an elite responsibility. And that comes with consistency. There were probably people, um, and this is just an assumption, there were probably people that were with the organization a lot longer than you that didn't get the position. Or even if they weren't with the organization, there were people in the marketplace 
that had more experience in the job. They were there longer, but they didn't get the job. You did. And that was a testament to the value that you brought to the table. So whether you're just starting out or you've been here, you know, you've been in the game 25 years, what got you here won't get you to where you're going. And you can't just rest in, this is how I've always done it. You know, I got 25 years in this. What does everybody else know? The game has got to continue to be played. And if you're young, like Dana was, starting with the Yankees, don't let that be a detractor either because, to, to Dana's point, no default champion. What you do consistently over time is what makes the biggest impacts in the biggest moments. And that's a phenomenal subtitle and a phenomenal point on no such thing as a default champion. The other thing you talk a lot about, and we've touched on this a little bit, but and this goes right in line with what we're talking about, that singles every day lead to runs on the board. How does that translate, in your opinion, to that incremental success that, that we're talking about? Yeah, so I have a guy that I work with that, um, you know, he sold his company twice for, you know, 250 plus million. And he said to me, he said, listen, if you want to be successful, it's very simple. He says, get up every day and hit a single. Figure out what's that one thing that you need to do today that's the equivalent of a single. Mm-hmm. When you go into work today, you can't come home until you hit a single. And then tomorrow you hit another single. And when you hit a few singles in a row, eventually runs start coming across the board. And it got me, you know, for me, when I heard that, it was an amazing, um, you know, parallel to, to, to baseball. Um, but ultimately it said, hey, you know, that, that should be our objective every day we go to work, right? Make something happen, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be the home run. It shouldn't be the home run. But a single today, a single tomorrow – and um, when you can do that, you'll be amazed at how many runs start coming across the, the, the plate, you know, over time, right? And um, I just find that it calls upon, you know, your deeper levels of focus, your deeper levels of patience, and, and your deeper levels of discipline. And if you think about it, focus, patience, and discipline, that's the trifecta for success. And I don't believe that many people present it today, especially uh, those that are uh, younger um, because they're, they're in a fast-moving culture. Everything's fast. Everything's now. And if I don't get it from your organization now, well, I'm going to go find the next organization that will give it to me now or just give me a little bit more than you gave me, and then I'll do it again. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, singles, that's, that's the objective, right? When you go to work, just hit a single. If you hit a single, you could actually be done working for the day. Not that you will be. Sure. But make that your number one objective for the day instead of getting caught up in all of the, you know, emails and phone calls and things that don't give you that um, ROT, which I call your return on time. Yeah. You know, that's such a good point, too, because as, as you're saying this and you're talking, I mean, I, you know, I won't go into bashing the, uh, the younger generation. I love them to death. But th- whether you're young, old, it really doesn't matter is this instant gratification I mean, I can't remember uh, the last time that uh, when I was watching ESPN's top 10 that somebody hit, hit a single with nobody on base made the top 10. But what does make the top 10 is, you know, A-Rod, it's the bottom of the ninth and uh, it's tied up and he smacks home, you know, two runs to win the game. And it's the number one play of the day on ESPN. So we get it in our mind like, well, then, you know, if you want the fame and the glory, you just got to hit home runs. But I mean, the story you told of your friend or your client, whatever it was, 
this guy didn't even see a home run until his last at bat. And then he knocked that thing out of the park, 250 million twice by hitting singles every single day. So yeah. sometimes you got to ask yourself, like, am I looking to win the battle or do I want to win the war? Because you might hit a home run. That's great. You got on ESPN. That's good. And, and look, hats off to you. You hit a home run. But are you in it for the long haul? Because last I checked, we're here to dominate the war, not just win a couple battles. And I think to Coach's point, like that's that consistency over time. And if you incrementally are successful hitting a single, every once in a while it's going to be a double or triple, but maybe when it matters most, that's when you knock the cover off the ball. Would you agree? Yeah, and, you know, putting, putting that kind of pressure on yourself to, to, kind of, to hit that, you know, bases loaded, game-tied home run all the time, I mean, I believe that's, that's what so many people are trying to do, and it's exhausting, you know? So you have to manage your energy and, most importantly, apply your energy to things that, again, are going to give you um, results. And, and, again, those results may not be immediate. They may be uh, over time. And I think anybody that, that's built a business for the entrepreneurs on here, we all know that, that our timelines and the original business plans that we put together or financial projections are never accurate you know they're all you know sped up and accelerated but but if we can you know approach every day with focus with intention um we'll have a really good shot of achieving those numbers over time and and uh you know another gentleman that i, I spoke with years ago his, his name is mark mastrov and he's a great guy and uh he started 24-hour fitness and he told me he said dana you know it took me 20 years, uh, excuse me, 10 years to open my first 20 fitness clubs. It took me the next 10 years to open 200. Hmm. He said, so 20 and 10. Compounding. And then 200 in, in the next 10. So he's, his point was, you know, don't rush. Get everything right. And when you get it right, you'll be amazed at how things start to accelerate as a result of you getting things right with patience, so discipline, and focus. So good. So good. And I mean, there's so many great nuggets in that book. Um, I have like 10 other questions that I, I would love to ask, but you know, for the sake of time, I, those were like two that really stood out to me that they spoke to me quite frankly in my, in the journey that I'm in as an entrepreneur right now. And I think it's so profound, but maybe to close out this segment, Dana, uh, a speed round, if you're up for a speed round here. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I think people learn a lot from these speed rounds, especially hearing from folks that have had uber success like yourself. What book have you read that has had the greatest impact on your life? Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting question for me because I, 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 I read quite a bit. But, um, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, when I read that when I was young, uh, yeah, that was that was a real good one for me. I really love that one. That my daughter is uh, that's required reading. She's in the middle of that one right now. It's a that is one of my probably top four books of all time as well. Yeah. What leader has had the biggest impact on your life and development, and why? Uh, well, I got to split that into two parts, right? Because you know I, I put my parents as as one part. Mm -hmm. uh, just you know, you learn a lot. Of, from home, what, what to do, what not to do. But my parents, you know, were always very uh, supportive of what I, I was doing. So, so from a personal side, it, it was definitely them. And, and uh, from a business side, 
uh, I call him my rabbi, and he's, uh, his name is Daniel Strauss, and he's a very successful um, entrepreneur. He's an amazing career, and he stays very under the radar, um, but he taught me uh, some really important things. And one of the chapters in my book is called, uh, If You're Going to Eat, Make Sure You Digest, and that was inspired by him. And it's uh, all about understanding pace as it relates to business as well as your skills. That's amazing. I love it. What's, uh, what's your fondest memory of being part of the Yankees organization? Uh, well, winning a championship in, in 2009 as a team was, was amazing. I remember sitting on the rail um, as the, the final uh, ground ball was hit. And I was standing next to Andy Pettit and, uh, you know, immediately when Mark Teixeira caught that ball at first base, um, boom, immediate hugs. And, and we just partied like rock stars the rest of that night. <laughs> I can't even imagine that feeling. Yeah, like, it was so cool. All the work that goes into it, you have these great relationships with people, you're winning on the biggest level, and uh, man, that's just exciting. Amazing. Now, um, surely you've had some setbacks along the way. We talked about those earlier in the, in the episode. What was one of your biggest setbacks that you could share in, in your career, I guess, mm. and how could others listening maybe avoid that or learn from it? Yeah, the, big, the biggest setback I had was uh, I had this vision of building out a franchised brand of training facilities um, with the tagline, train like a pro, where you can get the same exact treatment that like a Derek Jeter would get, um, you know, everything from your rehab to your training. Uh, it, it was all right there for you. So I had a goal of, of you know, building out these, these facilities, franchising them and, and you know, be smoking cigars in the Caribbean mm -hmm. in no time. But um, what happened was I, I had built the first one, it accelerated, it did really well. Built the second one, it accelerated, did really well. So I said, well, let's build a third one. And I, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing until you know Peter had to pay Paul and there wasn't anything left for Mary. So um, with that being said, I had to, you know, sell some places, close some places, but ultimately I realized that I was actually on the wrong journey because I was doing a lot more management and I wasn't doing uh, the amount of coaching that I wanted to do. I was running a business and focusing on, you know, creating cash when at the same time I wasn't doing what I was passionate about. So, hmm. so that, that, that whole thing tanked. Um, and actually on the other side of that was happiness for me. So it was at the time I was really stressed because, you know, we, we were in a cash burn and, you know, my name was attached to it. So, but once I got over that and I said, wow, there's freedom on the other side of this, um, I would have torched that thing a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. Lesson yeah. learned, right? Know yeah. when to fish and know when to cut bait, right? Exactly. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, look, I, uh, one last question. This is it. Um, right. I end every episode by telling the listener, that they have been set up to be a champion in this life. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I, I, whenever I speak to a group, I start off with this statement. There's a champion inside each and every one of us. It's our job and duty to bring that champion to life. So it's right along the same lines, but you have to know where that champion lies within you and what prevents that champion from coming to life. And so for so many, um, it just starts with belief, right? Why not me? Why, why can't I be a champion? Why I am one. Now, how do I go and put that, that champion side 
of myself forward. And a lot of people, they, they spend a lifetime not doing that and they watch other people accelerate and move towards their goals and vision and they end up staying the same for 20, 30 years. But I don't care if you've been in corporate America for 20 years, 30 years, or three years. You know, you better saddle up and realize what you have inside of you. And you're there not just for a paycheck. You better be there to, to, to help that company and organization win a championship. Make an impact. I love it. I, I heard you once say that you sign in every one of your books whenever you sign them. You, you put the words chase greatness. Am I right in saying that? Well, I write chase greatness. And another saying I write is you make it happen. I love that. I mean, that, you know, it starts in the mind of saying, you know, you have to pursue. So I love that chase greatness because you almost have to ask yourself, why not me? You just heard this, this story of coach. If you've been listening to this podcast any length of time, you've heard my story of humble beginnings to success. You have to, listener, you have to be asking yourself, why not me? Go out, run, run after what, wherever you're at. Maybe you're starting out just picking up towels in the locker room like coach. Maybe you're just starting out on the route delivery truck, picking up dirty clothes like I was. But ultimately, whenever you pursue becoming a champion and you hit singles every day, great things absolutely happen. Coach, thank you for being on. You are making tremendous impact on so many people. You obviously have your book, Habits of a Champion, that people need to get their hands on. You offer coaching programs. You do keynotes. Tell our listeners more about your organization and how they can connect. Yeah, so I, 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 like I said, I keep it simple. I, I write books, I coach, and, and I speak. That's what I do. Um, my book's on Amazon, Habits of a Champion. I do signed copies through the website, danacavalier.com, and I do a daily blog uh, Monday through Friday. That's uh, a lot of this kind of stuff, just every morning, just touch points, uh, 60 to 90 second reads to get you excited, motivated, and, uh, and ready to go win the day. Love that. I know that I'm a subscriber, listener. You. you should be as well. Coach has some amazing content out there, uh, a lot of it at no cost. But if, if you are in a position that you want or need somebody to come in, his training and his teaching are amazing. So, Coach, really appreciate you being on the show today. Listener, look, if you have any feedback, you have any questions on today's topic, be sure to email me at jeffhancher at thechampionforum.com. Make sure that you visit our website, thechampionforum.com. That's where we're going to provide the show notes to this episode and every episode. We'll have links to Coach's website, how you can reach him, and to get a hold of his book. And until next time, make sure that you never forget this. You have been set up to be a champion in this life. The Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire. Win.